Welcome to Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast, where we explore the local arts culture in the Lehigh Valley. We'll be doing this through conversations with individual artists, administrators, and organizations. We'll explore all types of mediums with a goal of enriching local art culture. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. As always, I'm Ben. And I'm Elise. And we're, we're excited to dive in. We're going to start off with what we were working on this week. I just finished filling up all the 35 millimeter film rolls that I have. So I needed to put in an order for more and start sending in everything that I do have to be developed. I'm a weirdo and um, I like to send everything in in batches. It's usually months after I shot something that I actually get anything back. It allows me to keep a little bit more of a more of an objective opinion on the pieces that I do shoot and not go right for that emotional gut punch of, I remember the day that I shot this. This is the best thing ever when it's, in all honesty, not a great photo. How about yourself? Yeah, this week, um, I actually had a lot of work stuff to do this week, uh, but I have been working on a couple different paintings. I actually went and was checking out the bluebells at Lockridge Park. Yeah. So I actually took some photographs, which is Ooh. not my normal medium, but I was taking them to paint later. So <laughs> that's fair. Um, and then I started on, they have some cool ruins of like old factory buildings there. So I started on a painting while I was there and then yeah. took photos to finish it up at home. That's but awesome. Haven't had a chance to get um, too much further than that, but we'll see what happens. Nice. Yeah. The Lockridge Park and Furnace Museum. Is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, that's over in Albertus. And um, during the pandemic was the first time I'd been there. Um, my friend Erica took us over there because it's Albertus is pretty close to like Mukunji Emmaus area. Yeah. And uh, it's beautiful, nice walking trails. But the bluebell field that they do is so cool. I had it's no so idea. Cool. And I saw the pictures on Lehigh Valley Live. And I was like, I have to go over there and paint that. Yeah. And then just a little shout out um, to local photographer and artist uh, Hub Wilson posted on his Instagram this week an awesome painting of the bluebell field there, too. So that was really oh, cool. I was so like, cool. Oh, obviously not the only one. <laughs> with this yeah. idea heading over yeah, to paint definitely. stuff but yeah, yeah very nice nice spring flowers hopefully we'll see a lot of uh what is it plain air painting <laughs> <Yes>. over the <laughs> spring and summer but yeah very uh, nice that's super cool yeah over the fall um elizabeth and i went down there and i was able to take some fun photos we have a couple photos nice. of us a couple photos that i took of her oh yeah um, i saw those you guys those are such cute photos of you guys those were nice <laughs> thank you one, one of my favorite things to do with with elizabeth is go out and take photos of the two of us kind of ends up being like self portraiture. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. Usually at this point in the show, we get to our shared art experience. So a few weeks ago, separately, we had each gone to see the show at Bethlehem house gallery. Yes. And at that show, Tyrone Webb, our guest from last week was still displaying really, really well curated show. Ward always does a great job with that. Yeah. The house gallery is a, wonderful magical place to visit and we're excited this weekend to go to the grand opening of their new glass show yes i'm so excited about the glass show fun fact i was born in renton washington um, and going back to visit a couple times i've gotten to visit the chihuly glass museum so i'm so excited this weekend to see a collection of glass artwork here in the lehigh valley yeah um so we're going to see that tomorrow night and uh, hopefully we'll get to chat about that next time we record yes yes definitely and what else are we doing this weekend ben so this weekend we're going down to the media film festival which is in media pennsylvania one of the films playing is called my dinner with Werner. And I had a very small role working on it while I lived in Texas, good friends with the director. And um, he was not able to make it to the show. So he asked me to go down and represent it. 
So I'm super excited to do that. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so excited to yeah. go check it out with you and the and Elizabeth and the crew from here at Steel Pixel, right? Yes. Yeah. We have a, oh, cool. a great, great crew coming along. And our guest today, Ben Burrington, is also going to be coming along. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. Again, the, the film is My Dinner with Werner. It's based on real events, real people, and real things they said. So My Dinner with Werner is a wildly bizarre and wacky farce about a 1987 dinner date with murder plot as the main dish. Check out your local film festivals and see if the film will possibly be playing in your area. Yeah. Maybe we can, uh, in the future, share that on our Instagram. Definitely. Very cool. So this week, we are very excited to have our friend, Ben Burrington. Ben was born and raised in Center Valley, Pennsylvania, and graduated from Southern Lehigh High School in 2013. After that, he attended Lehigh Carbon Community College in Schnecksville and JMC Academy in Australia, where he studied video game design and development. His studies focused on art and design principles of game development. He has presented his work at PAX Australia, a convention for video games. In addition to having released two video games, he also sells 3D models on CG Trader. For as long as he can remember, Ben has been playing video games. Some of his favorites include Mario Kart Double Dash, Pokemon Gold, The Witcher 3, and Stardew Valley. He draws inspiration for his games from music and real-life experience. Hi, Ben. Thank you for coming in this week. Hi. Thanks for having me. We've talked a lot about, with our last few guests, how you develop and create your style so that you have a very particular style so stepping stones are important yeah like the first game i ever made was just made with the unity assets and that was basically like seeing if i can program by myself and stuff like that Mm -hmm. testing things out and then the second game i like created the art assets for there weren't any animations or anything like that it was more like a old school arcade type of a game okay then the third game i made and all of a sudden there's like animations or stuff like that more experimentation yeah and it just kind of builds from there. So let's do a little uh, a little unity for dummies. Like break it down a little bit, start to finish. What is your process working with the program uh, to create a game? Sure. So uh, Unity is a game engine. That's basically where you actually build the game. So Unity uses two different coding languages. You can either use JavaScript, which is what Minecraft was made in, or you can use C-sharp, which is C++, only it's tied directly to Unity and doesn't really work anywhere else. <laughs> but basically, it's you take all the assets and all the coding that you want and you build it in Unity, and then you just export it out to an actual game. So Very nice. And you release your games on... On Steam or Itch.io or... The next one's going to be on the App Store. Yeah. Very nice. So, Ben, you were born and raised here in Center Valley. Yep. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Graduated from Southern Lehigh High School in 2013. Mm -hmm. And then after high school, what did you do? After high school, I decided to go to LTRIC, or Lehigh Carbon Community College, uh, mostly because cheap <laughs> Fair enough. but they also offered video game design which a lot of places don't do it or it's a four-year school a lot of not a lot of public schools all offer it as well mm-hmm. it's mostly private schools which of course comes with the private school price tag mm-hmm. so decided to give lhic a shot and you know ended up staying for the full two-year program but then after that i decided to transfer to a school in australia 
called JMC Academy because I figured I, w- I wanted to do something different. And most, a lot of the schools that I wanted to go to were out West in California or Washington or something like that. And I figured what's another 10 hour plane ride. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a, you have a lot of experience with long plane rides? Oh uh, yeah. That's uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when did that start for you? So the very first plane ride I ever took or one I can remember, I was like five years old and I flew, we, my family flew from J uh, from Newark, I think to China, which is a 13 hour plane ride. Yeah. That's a long plane ride. <laughs> and I've done that plane ride there and back about five, six times now or something. Wow. I don't even know oh, how many times. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's a long one. Now, when you're going to Australia, do you stop in China? Uh, when I moved there to, for school, I did. Okay. And then the last time I went, uh, I just went to LAX hmm. and then flew directly from there to Melbourne. Nice. Which nice. was a six and a 16 hour plane ride instead of two twelves. So <laughs> <laughs> very nice. So would you say that you enjoy traveling? Yeah, definitely. I think it's one of my favorite things to do is just see new things. So you've lived in Australia and you lived in China for a while too. Yep. It was also an experience when you don't know anything about anything and just kind of figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's a big leap. I mean, I guess when you moved to China, you moved with your family. Um, What was some of, some of your favorite parts about, about living there? Culture, food. Yeah. The culture, the food, public transportation. That was really nice. nice. (laughs) The fact that I was like 12, 13 years old when we lived there. And I could get to anywhere in the city I wanted to pretty much safely and efficiently was really nice. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. How would you say that your enjoyment of traveling has impacted your creative process? Uh, Creatively, it's taught me just to don't be afraid to just do whatever. If you have a stupid idea, run with it and see how far you can run with it. Mm. Even if it is only the first leg of the race, sometimes you just have to walk away from it. But sometimes, you know, you run with it all the way to the finish line. But it just kind of taught me just to throw caution to the wind sometimes and see what, see what it can happen. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So your first game that appeared on Steam. So that was Chuck Miaris, pretty much a pun <laughs> on Chuck Norris. Uh, basically, the basic concept of the game was uh, you were basically like a secret agent that you could play as five different types of characters and but that was randomly decided for you because I've lived with pets pretty much my whole life, especially cats. And cats are the most random of creature I've ever seen in my life. So <laughs> I had to keep a lot of the things as random as possible. And then while still keeping the core mechanics user focused. So as long as you're still good at the mechanics of the game the randomness is just more for fun rather than like an actual core gameplay mechanic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the cat characters in that game, they're all kind of themed, right? Mm-hmm. So where did the, the inspiration for those come from? Uh, just like trying to keep it as silly as possible. Like one of them is a is a mage character. So he's got like a big purple hat and stuff like mage robes and looks like a wizard. It's got a big beard. And then like, uh, one of them is a samurai cat. One of them is like a, a ranger because it was Chuck Norris. I made one kind of like a Texas Ranger type of a character. 
and then yeah, I mean it's kind of like most things that I do, I try to keep it as random and silly as possible, as lighthearted as possible. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so I've played that game for a couple hours, and it is incredibly difficult. <laughs> <laughs> How many people have you heard that from? Uh, a lot of people. The most people. Even when I was showing it at a convention, that was like the general consensus was it was a difficult game, but uh, the genre of the game is like a, a roguelike or roguelite, however you want to say it, which is essentially it's like it, the more you die, the better you do because okay. it's just a trial and error type of a thing. Yeah. So definitely. once you see the mechanics, it's just over and over and over. You play it and then you try to get farther and farther with each subsequent run. Mm. So is there a plot element to the game? So the plot element is you basically have to stop this evil genius dog <laughs> it's like a called dr uh, kibblesworth i think is what i named him <laughs> and yeah that's the basic plot of it so nice you have to run through nine different levels the levels that you play are random it's not generated levels they're still like static levels but the ones you play are random throughout okay. the time and then every time you beat three levels and you have to uh, fight a boss, which is also cat themed. Like one of them's a scratching post that comes alive. <laughs> one of them's a vacuum that you have to fight. So, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, you always seem to have so many in your games and your sense of humor, like so many little just random, like funny, funny little things. Like, where do you come up with that stuff? Uh, I don't know. Like a lot of the just like the actual game itself. It's one of those things I came up with that you know, one, two in the morning when I'm just sitting there trying to fall asleep and my mind says, oh, hey, you know, wh what about this idea? I say, that's great. Too bad it's one in the morning and I'm trying to fall asleep and now I can't <laughs> fall asleep, but that's great, you know? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I think, like, the little things or bring a game to life. Like, you can have the greatest story ever or something like that, but if all the characters are dull, it doesn't really... You're not going to resonate with anything or... yeah. Definitely. So a while ago, you and I were talking about some of our favorite television series. And one that we definitely had in common was Arrested Development, which has ongoing gags, mm -hmm. very themed ongoing gags yeah. from beginning to end. Do you think that something like Arrested Development played any kind of a, a part in your sense of humor? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think another show that does that is BoJack Horseman. Mm. On that, like, it's just... Like, the one time, the one gag was, for some reason, Mr. Peanut Butter and Todd bought an entire warehouse full of spaghetti strainers. And to <laughs> the point, it was overflowing in Mr. Peanut Butter and Diane's house. So it was just all over the place. And everyone, I was watching it with my brother, and we were like, how are they going to bring this back? And then, like, three seasons later, all of the spaghetti gets spilled in the ocean. And they're like, how are we going to solve this? And Mr. Peanut Butter comes to the rescue with all of his spaghetti strings oh that he had. Oh my gosh. And that's how they got rid of it. That's how yeah. they solved the, they tied it all back together. So it's like clever, clever long-term jokes, but also the most random, absolutely yeah. random thing you can come up with. Oh yeah. But, I love it. Yeah. And I think in your games too, that brings such a sense of personality and is very unique. Um, 
a unique aspect to bring into that. So mm. thanks. Yeah. Like in an oil, I don't know, we've talked about um, people's paintings or people's music or something. There's always those little nuances that very much connect back to the artist or the creator or the designer. Mm -hmm. And I think in your games, that's those little kind of funny things are, are your nuances. And one of the things that I love about your games is that they do bring in a lot of really fun pop culture references. So you have a new one coming out. Mm -hmm. called Fisher Bear, which I am very excited for everyone to get to play. Um, and you've designed a hundred different fish. Is that right? You know, it's one of those things where when you initially start designing something and one day I just sat down, I was like, oh, come up with a hundred different fish. So I wrote them all down. I was like, perfect. And as I was coding the game, designing everything, putting it together, I was like, I should probably start on these fish. So I start, <laughs> sat down and I just said, yeah, there's a hundred of these and each one of them I'm looking at it, I'm like, why did I come up with such a detailed type of... So, like, I had to, like, condense some things or change some things, or I'm like, there's no... What What was I thinking? Like, <laughs> yeah. But Thank you for sending over the... <laughs> the test copy. The test mm -hmm. copy. Uh, and I think that was really fun and what really hooked me... Hooked me. <laughs> and with this game... <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> is that I was so excited to see which fish I was going to catch next because they're so random. There's so many different ones. And there's, what was the one? Invisible fish. <laughs> yeah, that one, I, uh, <laughs> I, it was on like fish number 80 something. And I was like, I got to keep working, got to keep working. And finally, I just like hit a wall and I said, you know what? Screw it. Last one I'm doing today is an invisible fish. <laughs> just, no fish at all. It's just trust me, it's there. He's there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, I'd love to talk about some of the influences that went that went into some of those fish. Um, one of my favorite ones that you sent me is the Bob Ross fish. <sighs> That's my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> and so that is, I mean, Bob Ross is a, a pop culture icon for sure. There's a striking resemblance to you. Yep. And um, <laughs> one of my favorite animals is sloths. One of them is a sloth fish. Um, so like one of the other fish is a reporter fish who is black and white and has like the old style reporter cap and stuff like that with a notepad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of them is a detective fish who is dressed like Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun coming up with them. A lot of probably the most creative thing I did for the game was coming up with all the different fish. That is really creative. And that's a big undertaking to decide to do so many. How do you, so I paint a lot and I literally just yesterday sent Ben and Elizabeth photos of four separate unfinished paintings that I have just because I don't have motivation to finish them, mm -hmm. but I'm also not doing this full time. So how do you set deadlines or a timeline for yourself when you're creating a video game? Uh, yeah, that's tough. Like sometimes... A lot of times I don't have hard deadlines. It definitely does help, though, to kind of set, like, I have this massive chalkboard in my room where I just put tomorrow's date, and then I put all the things that I want to do that day. And then I'll keep working until I get those things done. Or sometimes I just have to accept it that that's not going to get done that day. Hmm. So that's usually what I try to do just to kind of keep yourself paced and stuff like that, especially because I don't, it's just me working on the game, so I can't really, I don't know 
how long sometimes it's going to take for something to get done. No one else is setting a deadline for it. So if I need to take more time, I can. Or if I need to not rush something, but hurry something, I can do that as well. So being that it's just you, do you ever find difficulty in figuring out how to do something when in a, in a game production company, there'd be someone that specifically specializes in that portion? Uh, yeah, definitely. Because there's a lot of time, like coding isn't my strong suit. So a lot of times it's just Google ends up being like my best friend and <laughs> my co-developer essentially is just Google because it's whenever I have an issue, I just, um, I look it up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And the good thing is like a lot of the stuff that I'm doing has already been done before. It's just a matter of translating what someone else has already done to what you're trying to do. Yeah. It's just, that's just the way it is. Like, Video games have been around since the 70s, so you know, 50 years have gone by. I think I'm not really coming up with any new and exploding ideas that have never been done before. So, <laughs> <laughs> so in Fisher Bear, in playing it, I was very relaxed. I felt that I could get up, leave the game, come back to it very easily, but without it taking away from my overall playing experience. Was that something that you built into the game from the beginning? What was your process like for that? Uh, it was definitely something I went into the project trying to do because the initial thought was so the type of fish that you can catch are depending on like the real world time. So like night and day and then also like the different days. So like if the day ends in an even number, then it, that changes the type of fish you can catch or an odd number, you know. So it's just kind of like meant to be picked up and played for like four or five minutes when you got free time. You won't feel rushed at all. Like you said, as relaxing as possible. Just nice, easy going. <laughs> yeah, definitely. nothing crazy kind of a game. Definitely. It's the kind of game I like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, was, I was trying to think. I'm like, there are so many games that have even just one portion that would make me rage quit. And I can't find anything in this game that would make me do that. And I think that goes really, really well with your your goal to release it on the App Store, which is what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's a perfect game that you can pull up on your phone, have a couple minutes, catch a new fish, enjoy the pop culture reference, and then go about the rest of your day. Mm -hmm. The uh, idea for the main character was just the bear fishes, so why not just make him a fish -er? <laughs> <laughs> Give him there a little hat and overalls and a fishing pole, and yeah. there you go. Yeah, I, I love the plays with animals that you do. Um, like the cat, I'm really leaning into that. And then mm -hmm. this one, bears eat fish. Everyone knows that bears eat fish. And uh, really <laughs> leaning into that and then taking both the bear aspect. Bear lives in the woods. Bear mm -hmm. lives in a cabin in the woods. Going from there. Mm -hmm. You are the first non-painter that we've had on this podcast. Wow. <laughs> Everyone's style has been very different, and but since we're only four episodes in, you are the first non-painter. And I wanted to ask if you consider yourself an artist, and why or why not? Uh, yeah, I consider myself an artist. I just consider video games a medium of art. Honestly, there's just so many different definitions of art. Like, when I watch a basketball game, like, that's art to me, too. Like, just seeing the cohesiveness, the it's that's why people call it like poetry in motion or something like that. And poetry is art. So there's just so many different ways that you can make art in life. Yeah, definitely. How would you go about defining art and what art is? I would say art is anything that allows you to express yourself, even if it is just 
like just words are art. Like someone that can give a really nice speech is art. Someone that can paint is art. Or, you know, if you play a sport extremely well, <laughs> that's that's art in my or just not even well. Even if you're just out here just throwing a ball at the hoop. I mean, as long as you're expressing yourself or enjoying yourself, I guess is another big one. Yeah. I wanna shout out to our friend Angie, who has been listening to every episode of the podcast so far. Thank you, Angie. And she it's made just a the Angie, I know. Yes. Okay. It is. It is. <laughs> she made a post this week um saying that she loves Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. Thank you. Uh, for so many reasons, but one of them is her realization that your existence uh, is a form of art and how you live your life can be artistic. It can be creative. It can be kind of however you want to. I kind of agree with her though. Like just everything's art. When you think, like just the, how we do our hair, like even if it is just like me who rolls out of bed and gets a shower and just air dries it, that's art or people that dye their hair or do amazing things to it. Like just the very, yeah, like you said, existence is, you know, <laughs> yeah, definitely. how that, we dress ourselves. And yeah. That, that expression aspect. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it makes sense looking at how different people decide to style their hair, dress, use clothing to express themselves. Yeah. It's all yeah. forms of expression. It says a lot about you and a lot about, uh, kind of what what your deal is i think i don't know you have fun glasses <laughs> so i always uh that's a compliment or something that i always like to throw out to people is like oh you have really cool glasses on today or like that's a super fun graphic t-shirt and i think that yeah. making that connection that bond over a creative aspect of someone's personality or even just the way they dress is kind of a cool a cool way to bring art into your into your everyday life Definitely. so do you have a a favorite artist or an art <laughs> Bob Ross. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have a favorite artist. I just like one of my favorite things at conventions is looking at all the art that, and a lot of the times it's the actual artist at the booth that's selling it. So being able to like buy something from them or something like that is like one of my favorite things at a convention. Yeah, definitely. Do you feel like presenting at conventions kind of gives you that emotional connection? People can come and interact with you and interact with your game and get the artist perspective on what you've created. Yeah, definitely. I think that just seeing the person that makes something face to face is always, you know, is always important or fun or just great to talk to that person about what their process was or, you know, how much their heart and soul they put into something is like one of the coolest things about just independent development i guess is you actually get to see the person that put all this effort into it yeah definitely you presented at pax australia mm -hmm. how was that uh it was really tiring because <laughs> <laughs> uh, the floor opened up at 10 a.m and then didn't close until 6 p.m so i usually got there like 9 9 30 ish and then was pretty much on my feet the whole time <laughs> plus it's just kind of saying the same thing over and over and over again and just i'm also not the most sociable person so talking to people just incessantly throughout the entire day <laughs> it was just draining on like so many different ways but it was definitely worth it i had uh some of my friends that i met through school help me with the booth so like if i ever just need to walk away <laughs> for 10 or so minutes i could do that and they were yeah. extremely helpful what is uh one of your favorite memories of somebody visiting your booth at PAX. There is a speedrunner that came by 
and she was like going by all the different all the different booths and stuff like that. And the first time I was away from the booth and I came back and my friends were like, Oh, this speedrunner came by, she like came in, beat like your demo in like thirty seconds to a minute and I was like, I missed that and they're like, Oh yeah but then she came back the next day and I just watched her just like dismantle the entirety of the game, the demo, which was like three levels on the boss fight and like not even two minutes, and I was like, "Oh, wow!" Was... <laughs> she was like, "Oh, it was good, thanks," and walked away. I was like, "Thank you." <laughs> so she was not one of the people that was complaining about how difficult <laughs> the cat game. You told me at the convention, someone called it the Dark Souls of of cat, yeah, of cat the games. Dark Souls of cat games. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. So for those that are not familiar with video games and video game language, what what does Dark Souls of cat games mean? So whenever someone says the Dark Souls of such and such, even if it's the Dark Souls of baking pies, like it just means it's extremely difficult, unforgiving, and sometimes unfair. <laughs> That's fair. Dark Souls is a video game um, that is known for being incessantly difficult yeah for people that aren't like super in the video games when you first play that game it's like just a constant punch in the face which yeah i mean if you like that type of stuff sure but (laughs) yeah it's the kind of game that says oh you like tutorial levels you like to learn the mechanics before having a boss fight we're not going to do that we're going to give you one of the hardest bosses in the game as level one So it's it's a fun time. So you went from the dark souls of cat games to creating a happy Sunday afternoon fishing game. Yeah, you gotta diversify your portfolio at least. Come on. <laughs> what games do you decide to go from drawing board to what you're actually creating? Because in the time I've known you, you've probably said, hey, I had this idea for a game. What do you think? Or, hey, I've thought about this game. What do you think? And I'm sure you've had the same experience. It's mostly if, is it doable? That's the biggest thing. <laughs> like, is it doable for me? Because well, actually all the time, it's pretty much just me working on it. The one game I was going to try to make was like a 3D uh, third-person shooter. And I made like the main characters for it and all that. But then like the amount of time and effort it would take for me to build that game would be like astronomical compared to (laughs) if I want it to be where I want it to be. Mm -hmm. Like I've had to scrap a few games in the past. Like I've made uh, art assets for it or I've coded a lot of it, but then like I just have a moment where I'm like, this is never going to be where I want it to be. Mm -hmm. So I just have to like shelve it or sometimes scrap it completely. But yeah, but whenever I do that, like, there's parts of those games that I end up using somewhere else. Like even okay. if it is a coding thing that I did, I figured out how to do this mechanic. I'm like, oh, that'll come in handy eventually at some point. So yeah, definitely, <laughs> yeah. definitely. Very much that stepping stone idea that we talked about earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a difficult part of working independently. I mean, you get into the independent film scene as well, and you just, you know. We have a budget constraint. We don't have the money to get a giant crane to do this overhead shot going Mm -hmm. out a window onto a street following somebody overhead. So you opt for a handheld shot just following them walking Mm -hmm. backwards. (laughs) It may (laughs) not be what they want, but it's what they can manage. Yeah. Or you say, you know what? This idea is not going to work. We're going to shove that for another day and find something else to do. Yeah. Yeah. A while ago we were talking and you mentioned 
a food delivery game with a really clever mechanic for getting across the story and the world building. So you worked inside of a restaurant. It was kind of like a food prep game, kind of like a cooking mama. And then all the people that would sit down at the bar would be talking about what's going on outside in the world. The idea was you would play as, like there would be essentially an RPG where, or like an old school RPG where there'd be a party of like four or five friends and you play as the grandma who owned our restaurant. And like you would essentially make all the food and stuff for them whenever they came in and they would tell you the story or an adventure of what they went on. Yeah. And I mean, that's, and then the, the delivery was the grandma's assistant who used to be a uh, professional football player would then like take it and it become a platformer and would take the delivery and run it out to the people, to her grandkids <laughs> in the field. <laughs> I love it. And I love what you talked about before with that game where it was independent and you came up with that because you wanted to make the RPG and you realized that you did not have the ability to do so. So you very creatively came up with a way to do that idea, Mm -hmm. but, or tell the same story, but in a very, very different unconventional way, which I thought was super cool. And those are very uh, plot heavy games, like story heavy games. So favorite movies favorite books uh for book wise like i just i grew up reading the lord of the rings and all that and chronicles of narnia all those fantasy this is my favorite genre is the fantasy and then that's where uh the witcher uh story books kind of came into of like very character driven and stuff like that and focusing on them how they build they the characters essentially build the story and that vice versa you know what i mean no the world reacts to the characters or the characters react to the world yeah i almost feel like you should write short stories and then later when you have the production capacity to make the video to game the video then, you, <laughs> then you can base base Just keep a your games somewhere off. And- yeah <laughs> yeah it's easier to get a production company to green light anything if it's from pre-existing material mm-hmm. <laughs> So if you have a short story for it and you're like, so I have this short story that I'd like to turn into a video game. Oh, who wrote the short story? The short story. That's not important. Let's make the video game. (laughs) (laughs) Can I read it? No, it's meant to be a video game. (laughs) I do. Well, I wanted to ask about school because technically you were going for game design. You do a lot of your own all of your own design work you went to you were in two different design programs like how did they differ what did you like about them were there professors that were creating their own video games or were they just kind of they had that production background it was mostly they had their own production background like at LHIC uh I had two well three main professors there is um the programming side there's Mary uh Mary Raisley I think her last name was and then the uh, art side, there was uh, Steve Steve Whites, and then about midway through, he left to go to a different school. He got another job, and then Scott Tice took over the art side for that. And Scott owned his own like production studio, so he knew the ins and outs of pretty much every single um, uh, program that we used, just in a different way. So like he knew how to do everything. He would give us the tools, but 
uh, we would then translate that into a game design. And then in Australia, it was kind of more of the same people that had a few more people that had been in the industry, mostly on the animation side of things. But again, like most of that translated to game design. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with Unity now, there are direct plugins for things like 3ds Max and mm-hmm. Unity to work together. So, especially using Unity's new builders, you can use their incredible physics systems to double as your Cinema 4D yeah. counterparts. It's it's so cool. Did you ever make anything when you were in school for video game design? Like, do you have group projects? You work with other students on making a game? Anything yeah, like that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> it was more L-Tri-C because I left JMC before we got to the big projects. But at L-Tri-C, we had a capstone where it was, okay, programming does programming side does their thing, art side does their thing. And then we meet like twice a week to kind of put everything together. Mm. So everyone had like different assets that they made or different textures and stuff like that. So everyone kind of had like a division of labor to kind of, I guess, just make it easier for everyone. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. But it was better at JMC because it was a full-time school, like an actual university. So people took it a lot more seriously. You know, at LHIC, it was, it's a community college and most, if not all of the kids I was in school with also had a job. Or a, po- mm. or a full-time job. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So we would all just be like stressing out on things or they couldn't get things done or I couldn't. It was just like, it was a lot more difficult that I'll try to see to get group projects done. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But it, it was just one of those things where it's no one's fault. It's just how life works. <laughs> what do you want to do? Do you want to be making your own video games on your own? Do you want to get to a point where you're hiring out people? Do you want to work for a video game co- design and development company? That's a, that's a tough one because it's like, I think I would want to work for a company for, at least for a little bit mm. just because of the stability of it. And I don't think I can actually survive doing everything by myself. <laughs> that's that's fair. I don't, unless like something happens where I make a million dollars off of something, which I highly doubt but i mean the dream would probably be like having a devoted team of people Mm. just like a close group of either friends or just a team of like five or six people that would just make games consistently because a lot of the big name companies have very strict deadlines or they have corporate backers which means more expectations more deadlines (laughs) yeah definitely Things that make people want to scream with 70 to 80 hour work weeks, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good parallel to like asking a film student, do you want to be making short films on your own kind of doing your own thing? Or do you want to be part of a team or working for a company? Because there's a benefit to both sides, right? If you're doing your own thing, you have full creative control, control of your own time deadlines all that good stuff when you're working for a company you lose a little bit of that but you're also gaining production value because there's more people working on it there's more money (laughs) yeah yeah that's most of them would say my dream is to either work in the studio system become part of the union again work in the, the giant studio machine um or you have people 
could say, I want to work completely out of the studio machine. I want to work in the independent route. I feel it's much more personable. The problem with working outside of the studio system is money. The more and more independent that you get into filmmaking, the more likely you are to find those have those individuals have other jobs hmm. that they run. Yeah. Um, to be able to fund what they actually want to make, whether that be doing music videos, commercials, or working completely out of the film film industry itself. That's our that's one of yeah. our continual themes across all of these episodes is that when you're out there doing the independent thing, full creative process, doing your own thing, you are working other jobs to support that. Yeah. But you still identify as a filmmaker, a painter, a video game designer. <laughs> yeah. So Van, for years you worked as a bartender, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> so even throughout those years, while designing video games, would you have primarily called yourself or identified yourself as a video game designer or a bartender? Probably a video game designer, just because that's what I wanted to be. Yeah. And unless you actually try to be it, what's the point of going to school or anything like that? <laughs> Definitely. So it's that's why I... But it paid for a lot of things. Like yeah. It paid for school. It paid for just being able to go full-time doing it. So it's yeah, not, like definitely. It, <laughs> not it's, like it was all bad. Yeah. It's a, it's a step <laughs> on the path. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And anything that you can do that feeds into your creative process, meeting people, hearing fun, interesting stories. Like we, we were talking about that RPG game mm -hmm. with the grandmother serving the food to the individuals. Um, did you come up with that while working as a bartender? Definitely had influences on it. Yeah. Just because just working in a restaurant for as long as I did, it was like definitely, especially the type of restaurant that I did work in. Mm -hmm. I worked at where to work at Thai cuisine. So it was a family owned restaurant The the owners were, you know, older, nice and friendly and very, you know, grandparent like, so yeah, their heart and soul was in it. And mm -hmm. I'm sure that was definitely an inspiration <laughs> for a, <laughs> mm -hmm. a video game where the grandma is making food for everyone. Mm hmm. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And you meet an interesting cast of characters working in a restaurant too, because there are so many, how many people do you think you meet in a year working in a restaurant? I think about that all the time. People yeah. who, they probably never gave me a second thought, but I think about them all the time. Or because even just they the said people something you worked weird with. Or, like, yeah, yeah. I remember I looked on, like it was on Facebook the other day and Jeff's, um, just mutual friends. It was like, um, it's like, Oh, 70 mutual friends. I was like, yeah. how do I look at it? And like, they're all Puerto Rican people. Like, I look at that how all did the I time. Meet? <laughs> I'm like, I don't even think I have a hundred friends, let alone a hundred mutual friends. Yeah, I'm like, how did, it turns out they were all people yeah. that I met working yeah. there and people yeah. that worked there with me, like coworkers and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely part of the stepping stones idea where the people you meet, the experiences you have, the kind of back burner ideas that you're creating mm -hmm. all feed into your finished product. Yeah. It's people of all walks of life too. Like yeah. you had the people in the kids in high school, you had people like me who were in college most of the time and stuff like that. You had people that were older who had kids. So it was just a very nice like blend of people that worked there. Yeah. When did you start working there, Ben? Twenty thirteen. I was like it was like a month after I graduated high school. It was okay. like I remember because I Gave him my applica application like when I was still in high school, and then didn't call me until like July. I think a lot of good friendships came out of working there. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
lots of people that I think, I hope will be in my life for a long time, but good family place to work. Mm-hmm. Could be a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, now that I successfully derailed art to talk about a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> It's all part of the artist's journey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Talking about side gigs and all that stuff that you do to make your art happen is important and part of your story. So Ben, let's um let's start to wrap this up a little bit. Let's have you go through all the different places that people can play through your games or where they'll soon be able to play through your games. Great. Well, you can find the cat game on Steam. If you just type in the search Chuck Miaris, it'll pop up. And then Fisher Bear will be on the iOS store or on Itch.io whenever it's finished. I don't know when that is, but <laughs> coming soon. Coming and then soon. if you want to stay up to date on things, you can go to Facebook or Twitter, which is just why not. I think there might be a link in the bio. So your website is um, B Burrington, B-U-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N dot myportfolio.com. And people can kind of keep up with what you're working on there. Yeah. If you, if you just go on there, there'll be links to the games I've made and where to download those. There will be links to the, the, um, the CG trader art assets. There's also my art station portfolio. And then it also has my social media links on there too. So people have questions about your work. They want to contact you. What's the best way to do that? Uh, either Facebook or Twitter. Okay. Either or. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for coming in today. I'm looking forward to the final version of your fishing game. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, Ben, thank you so much for coming on this week. It was a joy talking with you. We had a lot of laughs and enjoyed spending the time. Yeah, thank you, Ben. In closing, our resource of the week is going to be some information from the Americans for the Arts, specifically from their Arts Action Summit. My day job, I work for the Lehigh Valley Arts Council, which is a Lehigh Valley-based arts advocacy organization and nonprofit. And through them, I was able to attend Americans for the Arts Arts Action Summit, which was the first week in April. And then this week, the 12th through the 16th, we are celebrating Arts Advocacy Week. So some of um, the content that is developed and created during this Action Summit, which is like a week long of Zoom conferences, traditionally it's held in person, but uh, because of current situation, it's held virtually. So conferences on topics related to arts education, tax reform, nonprofit um, administration, that kind of thing. It's all different arts administrators and small business owners present on different issues. So one of the things, the really awesome things that comes out of Arts Action Summit Week is the Congressional Arts Handbook. So that's compiled annually to support the work of participants at the Arts Action Summit and Arts Advocacy Day organized by Americans for the Arts and co-sponsored by more than 85 national organizations representing thousands of arts, culture, business, civic, and educational-based organizations. Within this handbook, you can find a plethora of resources, including facts and figures, related legislation, research, talking points, and more to help you inform you on major policy issues we are working to positively impact as arts administrators and arts advocates. As I consider myself an arts advocate, something I always find really intimidating is reaching out to your congressperson or contacting, how do you know what to talk to them about? What do you, what do you say? So something that this document includes is individual records on congresspersons, um, votes and support on a variety of arts related issues. So it's kind of like a report card where you can, they list 10 different arts related policy issues, and then you can see how 
your congressperson votes on them. Oh, very cool. So here in the Lehigh Valley, our federal Congress people include Senator Pat Toomey, Senator Bob Casey, Representative Susan Wild, and Representative Dan Muser. If you don't like how they voted, it is 100% your responsibility as an arts advocate to let them know. So you can actually find all of the contact information for these Congress people on the Lehigh Valley Arts Council's website. We have an advocacy page. My awesome coworker Tara has updated all of the most recent representatives and senators after the last election, and that's at lvartscouncil.org slash advocacy. And if you are looking for that handbook that I referenced with all of the information and the Zoom recordings from the Arts Action Summit conferences, you can find that at artsu.americansforthearts.org. Yeah, and we have a lot of those resources that we're going to be posting in our story here on the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast Instagram. So make sure that when this episode comes out, you are looking for that. So we'll be posting that throughout the day. We have a lot that we're going to share to our story. Definitely keep your eyes out. Yeah, and Arts Advocacy Week doesn't have to end on the 16th. You can contact your congressperson any time with any of these arts related issues or anything that's important to you so definitely get out there and send them an email very good give them a phone call (laughs) very good well thank you all for listening again this week i am ben and i'm elise and we are recording here at steel pixel studios in downtown bethlehem if you're interested in having your own podcast recorded dm us on instagram send us an email check out our website www.steelpixelstudios.com shoot us a message See you next week. See you next week.